John 11 is, um, I said last week, this begins a nonstop, you know, you get on a roller coaster and there's kind of the, you know, it goes around and it does a couple dips and does a couple turns and then all of a sudden the roller coaster tilts backwards and starts doing the click, 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 click. And you know what's coming after that, right? This is it. Here we go. And that anticipatory click, 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 click of going up is John 11. Okay? So nothing happens in John 11 that is the passion. Nothing happens in John 11 that's the last week of Jesus' life. But it all sets it up. And so we'll have John 11, which is the click, 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 click. We'll have John 12, which is that, uh, that totally silent where you don't hear the clicks anymore and you're going level and you know what's about ready to happen. And then John 13 to 21 is the roller coaster, is the real fun. So, all right. So there's this guy and he's sick. A certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So Mary and Martha and Lazarus are some of Jesus' best friends. They live really close to Jerusalem. They live about two miles from Jerusalem, just right on the edge of Jerusalem. Bethany was a really popular city to live in if you were super devout. Because, you know, I've talked before about the Sabbath day's walk and how you can only walk so far on the Sabbath to go anywhere. Well, if you lived in Bethany, you lived close enough that on the Sabbath you could make it to the temple in Jerusalem. So this is like the people that live there are the people that are doing the real deal, right? And uh, so Bethany was the city. Jesus would go there a lot. He would visit them. He knew them. This is the Mary and the Martha of uh, Mary sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha's doing the dishes and says, why don't you help me? This, this is them. We don't really get any other conversation about Lazarus. We don't know anything else about Lazarus except that he was Jesus' friend. But he was Jesus' friend enough that this happens. So he's sick. Verse 3, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And it's easy to read that sentence and think, oh, they sent a message to Jesus that Lazarus was ill. Okay, but let's, let's think this through for a little bit. Jesus, people were talking about killing him, so Jesus went out into the, the wilderness by the Jordan. He doesn't have a mailing address. He doesn't have a phone number. He doesn't have an email. And so for Mary and Martha in Bethany to have sick Lazarus, to tell somebody, go tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick. That guy, first of all, doesn't know right off the bat where Jesus is. Okay? From Jesus' track record in the first 10 chapters, Jesus could be in Jerusalem, in Samaria, in Galilee, in the Decapolis. And remember, the Decapolis 
was a set of 10 cities around the top of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus could be out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is zipping back and forth, sometimes in a boat, sometimes on foot, across the Sea of Galilee. That was a joke. And he is like all over. So Mary and Martha say, go tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick. So we don't know how long that took. We don't know how long he was looking for Jesus. We don't know how long it took him to get the message to Jesus. But he gets to Jesus. And he says, I come from the home of Mary and Martha. The one that you love is sick. The other part of that is what incredible faith that shows on behalf of Mary and Martha. Have you ever been, maybe it happened to you today. People say, is there anything we can pray for? And you're thinking, my foot really hurts, but it's not that big a deal. And all I need to do is sit and rest it and it'll be fine. Right? You got those kind of prayer requests where you're like, I feel stupid to ask people to pray for this because I know if I just bend my neck the right way, I'll be fine. This is not one of those. It's a big enough deal to grab servant dude or grab so-and-so the neighbor and tell him, go find Jesus, who is to be found somewhere in all of Israel and Samaria, and tell him Lazarus is sick. This is a big deal. So he goes, when Jesus heard it, Here's his, you know, you travel for days. You've been looking for Jesus. Lazarus is sick. You've got this news and you tell him. And Jesus says, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. It's not real clear, is it? It's not, might not be the answer you were expecting. There's a thing that happens and maybe it's the way John tells stories and maybe it's the way John relates to, to other people and how he tells things. You'll find over and over, in, and I think I said this a couple weeks ago, over and over in John, Jesus says something that kind of doesn't make any sense at all at first. And then you look at the context and you look at what Jesus is thinking about, and then Jesus does an action that shows what he's talking about. But you only... Get to see the action if you heard the confusing thing and you stuck around long enough to see him show it off. That's kind of how the whole Gospel of John starts, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. And you're like, what does all of that mean? And then you stick with him through John 2, and you stick with him through John 3, and you realize what that means. So, Jesus says, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. So now, it's not just a sickness. This is not just Lazarus being sick. God, this is something that God is going to, it is for the glory of God. This bad thing is happening for the glory of God. So that the Son of God may be glorified. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Again, starts to get clear and then gets really unclear. Jesus loved them a whole bunch. So he didn't 
go directly to their aid. He didn't go hurry up and help them. Jesus loves them so much that he wants this opportunity for God's glory to be shown in their lives. He doesn't want to steal it away. He doesn't want to take away this opportunity for God's glory just to make them happy. There's a thing, maybe it's a premarital book we read or something, something we did where in our marriage, if there's something that's just really grating on your nerves, we don't say anything about it for 24 hours, which I wish I was better at that. You don't bring it up and you don't say it, you don't mention it. You tell the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit tells your spouse. And then all of a sudden I wake up and I'm like, you know, I should really do more dishes. And Cindy's like, glory to God in the highest. (laughs) No, so I made that one up. The real story, we got a new dryer and it was like a week old. And I realized that I had not run it for like the first week of its life. And I'm discovering all these new things. And everyone else in the house is like, we all know how it works, Dad. I was like, oh, I haven't touched the dryer in a week. God, Jesus wants Mary and Martha to see the glory of God. And he could intervene and go, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I mean, he's done it before. He doesn't even have to go to their house. Those servants could show up and he could be like, oh, you guys have great faith. Go on home. And when they went home, they found out Lazarus was healed that same hour, that same day. Right. We've heard that story about the centurion servant. He's he's spit on blind people's eyes that didn't even believe in him. And they went and got mud and and they got healed. Jesus could easily heal Lazarus. Jesus knows, okay, this time God the Father is doing this and he wants to be glorified in this way and I don't want to mess that up. And I love them. And so I'm going to wait two days. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. After this... He said to the disciples, let's go to Judea. Let's go back to Judea. Okay, now think about these guys. These guys are just observing and listening to Jesus. They don't know what's going on in his head. So when the messenger comes and says, Lazarus is sick, Jesus says, this won't end in death. This is for the glory of God. So the Son of Man can be glorified. Oh, okay. And then Jesus goes back to business, whatever he's doing, teaching, healing, whatever. He does that for two days. We don't know if the messenger went back. We don't know. It doesn't say if the messenger went back to Mary and Martha, if the messenger stayed there. I mean, ancient hospitality rules, they would they would host the messenger as long as the messenger wanted to stay there. Maybe the messenger's waiting for some kind of reply or whatever. We don't know. Two days later. Jesus says, let's go back to Judea. The disciples said, Rabbi, the Jews, last time we were there, they were seeking to stone you. And you want to go there again? Last time we went there, they were trying to kill you. And, and, you know, if you don't know what's going on in Jesus' head, you don't know, why would you want to go back to a place where everybody wants to kill you? Then Jesus says the weird thing. Get ready. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble 
because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. All right, so I got uh, my buddy Andy Grease was a camp counselor at a summer camp for kids with disabilities. And they would be all different kinds of kids and all different kinds of disabilities in one cabin. And in the cabin, there are bunk, there's a door that goes into the cabin and there's bunk beds. Okay? One of the kids in his cabin group was completely blind. Do you think blindness is going to stop a 10-year-old kid? No. So what this kid would do is he would feel his way up the steps of the cabin and he would open the door... And he knew that his bunk bed was about right there, and it was about 12 feet away. So that kid, completely blind, would open the door and run in and stop just before he ran into his bunk bed, because he knew how far it was. Hilarious. And Andy said he would be sitting there watching the bunk, and this kid would come running in, and he would think, Oh my gosh! And the kid would just stop right on the edge. And then he'd you know, get his stuff out of his bed and feel around and get his backpack or whatever. When we walk, we walk in the light, right? Every movie theater, every sidewalk, you know, you got the sidewalks with the yellow tape marking it. You can see it clearly. Jesus is saying, that time is right now. You can see clearly. Nobody stumbles. We have to do what we need to do while we can see. Notice he talks about daytime and light. What happens to every day? It ends. Jesus knows that his end is coming. He knows that for these disciples that are following him and listening to everything he says and watching everything he does, in a minute he's going to be gone. And they're going to They're going to be in darkness, and they're going to have to know what they're going to do without him. So he says, he says all that to say, I'm Jesus. I'm the light of the world. I'm the light shining in the darkness. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not crazy. I'm not just going to Judea to be willy-nilly. I know they're going to kill me. I know they want to kill me. But that's where we need to go. We need to do the worst. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anybody walks in the day, he doesn't stumble. He sees the light of this world. It's him. So after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to wake him up. Again, they all think, if he's sleeping, he should keep sleeping, right? When you're sick. And that's what he says. Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll get better. They really don't want to go to Judea. They don't want to go there. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. So Jesus, when that messenger came and said, Lazarus is ill, Jesus said, His sickness won't lead to death, but it'll lead to glory. What? Why? And then it says he loved them so much, he stuck around. He loved the disciples too. So he's letting the disciples in on what's going on. And then he says, 
I'm glad for your sake that I was not there. He's, he doesn't say he's glad that Lazarus died. He's glad that he wasn't there so he could swoop, save the day, and make everything better. He's trying to show the glory of God. He's trying to show the glory of what God is doing. So then he says, but let's go to him. So Thomas called the twin. Okay, this is doubting Thomas. This is Thomas's moment of glory, okay? Thomas is known as doubting Thomas because when Jesus shows up and everybody gets to see him and then Jesus disappears and they tell Thomas, we saw him. He says, I won't believe it unless I see him too. And we call him Doubting Thomas. But he, he got kind of ripped off timing-wise. Here he is. Thomas, called the twins, says to his fellow disciples, let's also go so we can die with him. We all know Jesus is going to die in Judea. If Jesus says we're going to Judea, guys, let's go die with him. Thomas is so awesome that Mary and Martha are trying to preserve Lazarus's life. And that's why they call for Jesus. All the other disciples are trying to preserve Jesus's life. And they're saying, don't go to Judea, Jesus. Everybody there wants to kill you. Jesus and Thomas are the only people in this whole chapter that are saying, my life is not as important as God's will. God's glory and God's being glorified and getting attention and, and being awesome is more important than whether I live or die. And so I'm not going to measure my obedience to what God wants me to do by whether is it going to kill me or not. I'm going to measure my obedience to what God wants me to do by does God want me to do it? And I might die. So they go. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Mary heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Pretty bold statement, right? I mean, we might feel that thing. We might think stuff like that in our hearts. Martha went and said it to Jesus's face. Wow. But then she coils back a little bit. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I know you're still connected to God. I know you're still listening. But I'm a little mad that you didn't come. Because if you would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. The other thing that's a big deal is all the Jewish leaders have come from Jerusalem to the home of Mary and Martha to grieve with them and to mourn with them. This is kind of like if, um, gosh, I don't know, if, if your house was two blocks down from um, Joel Steen's mega church, Humongo, right, whatever. And he knew you just because he knew people in the neighborhood. These Jewish leaders from Jerusalem are going to know who Mary and Martha and Lazarus are because they live within a Sabbath day's walk of the temple. They're going to be regulars there. Those are, those are going to be 
They, they aren't travelers from afar. They're our backdoor neighbors. And one of them passed away, and so we're going to go to their funeral, and we're going to mourn with them. So all these Jewish leaders from Jerusalem are at their house. It's getting more exciting. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. It's a common common teaching that there's going to be a resurrection, that everybody's going to come back from the dead. When when the kingdom of heaven comes and, and God returns to New Jerusalem, he's going to wipe out all the Romans and there's never going to be any death and everybody's going to rise from the dead and we'll live forever and it'll be great. I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. <laughs> this is like, he, he did not say the I am word. That's the, uh, I, yeah, like that knocks people down. But he says, I, I am the, the resurrection isn't just an event that's going to happen. I'm it. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, Martha is super smart. She knows how to have a theological conversation and not engage her heart. That was sarcasm. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. She missed it. That's okay. I think most of us would. She's upset. She is still thinking, if you would have been here, Lazarus would be alive. You can say all you want about the resurrection, but I want my brother back. It's real. This is a real friendship and a real hurt and a real thing happening. But in the middle of it, Jesus is like, Oh, Martha, wait till I show you what real life is. Wait till I show you what real life is that involves no death at all, ever. Whoever believes in me will never die. See, Martha's definition of life and death is obviously different than Jesus' definition of life and death. Just like in the garden with Adam and Eve, the serpent says... Eve says, we're not even supposed to touch that fruit. If we eat it, we'll die. And the devil says, surely you won't die. And she eats it. She's still breathing. Her heart's still beating. She didn't die. Right? The devil changed the definition of what she understood life and death to be. And so since she thinks life and death is heartbeat and breathing, she thinks God's wrong. I can keep eating this. Adam, eat this. It gives you wisdom. It it gives you all kinds of reasoning powers and makes you really smart. And you don't die. That, That was a trick. And ever since then, the definition of life and death has been broken. So there's all kinds of people thinking they're living, thinking they're alive, And they don't even know who God is. They don't even know what real life is. And there's all kinds of people that, yeah. So, he says all that. 
I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary. So when uh, in the Middle East, when there's a funeral and like all these, I mean, it's a big public event. Everybody wants to know who's there and who, and did you see this guy? And he was there and he cried and it's a big social thing. And so it's super honorable for all these guys to come and, and mourn for Lazarus. They might not even care about him, but they show up at the thing. But Martha gets Mary in private and she says, the teacher is here. And he's calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. So Jesus is still on the outskirts. These villages are little, you guys. These are almost like what we would consider neighborhoods. I mean, they're just little tiny clusters of houses. So it's not like she had to go on a journey or anything. So she comes. Uh, when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her, they see Mary get up and go out real quick. They follow her, thinking that she's going to go to the tomb and weep there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, think about everything she has invested. We sent a servant like two weeks ago to go find you and to tell you Lazarus was sick. We counted on you, Jesus. We've had all kinds of conversations. You stayed at our house. You, you owe, owe, owe us. If you would have been here. I don't think it's a proclamation of, Jesus, you are so powerful that we know you could have healed him if you were here. I, that's not really the tone. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. This is just such terrible words. He was upset. He was wrenched to the gut. The, uh, so I don't do a lot of Greek words. The Greek word here is splagatsomai, which is like your guts and your bowels. Like he was moved deep down. Ugh. He's so upset. And then he says, where have you put him? Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. He's crying as they're going to the, to the place where Lazarus has been buried. They're all weeping. And, and they're professional mourners. They're really, I don't want to, sometimes they would be not sincere. Sometimes they would be sincere. But man, there's no holding back emotion. Just screaming, yelling. It's, um, it's a, I will tell you, it's a terrifying, eerie thing to hear. So they're coming. Now Jesus is taking part in it. And Jesus is crying and sobbing with them as they go to the tomb. And the Jews said, wow, look at how he loved him. See, the Jews know who Jesus is. Remember, they wanted to kill him a couple weeks ago. They're going to give him a little space at this funeral. They look at Jesus and how Jesus is crying over Lazarus. They say, wow, this guy really loved Lazarus. Then some of them are whispering to each other. Couldn't the guy that opened the eyes of the blind also kept his front friend from dying if Jesus is so powerful to heal a blind man couldn't he heal his buddy 
Jesus, deeply moved again, comes to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. So back in the day, they didn't do embalming. They didn't have funeral homes and all that stuff. They just put them in a cave. And they'd put them in a, in a cave that would have a, a little section in the front where there would be a bunch of bodies decomposing. And then when all that was left was bones, they would clean off the bones. And they do it very respectively. I mean, it's not, it's not disrespectful. And they would take the bones back to the back room, which was an ossuary. And these were all bones of generations and generations and generations of your family. All those bones would be in this giant room. And then they would clean off that spot, maybe for you. And then generation after generation after generation would go in there. And then all their bones would be in uh, archaeologists have uncovered these where there's hundreds and hundreds of, of people buried in these rooms. The other thing they believed was that your spirit stayed in your body for three days after you died and kind of hovered around in the air trying to decide if it was going to come back into you and you were going to come back to life or if it was going to move on. That's what they, that's what they thought. And then after that three days when the spirit left, then you would really start stinking. And so that's why they say, oh, it's been four days. You know, if his spirit was still around, hanging around, it's gone. There's going to be an odor, the whole bit. Jesus does not even address that. I love that. He doesn't argue with them. He doesn't, um, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't explain anything to him about why it's wrong. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? I just wonder if any of the disciples were around that were really paying attention and were like, oh, something is about to happen. Because Jesus said Lazarus wasn't going to die. That his death would not, that this illness would not lead to death, but to the glory of God. And now Jesus said, Lady, didn't I tell you if you stick around, you'll see the glory of God? So they take away the stone. Jesus lifts up his eyes and says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Notice he says past tense. Thank you that you heard me. What's Jesus been doing for the last four days? Praying for Lazarus. He has been praying for Lazarus and somehow communicating with God about Lazarus. He knows that God heard him. And even though God possibly did not answer his prayer, God is bringing himself glory. And at some point, Jesus acknowledges. At some point, Jesus said something to God, and this is proof that God heard him. And so Jesus thanks. He says, I know that you always hear me, but I say this on the account of the people standing around so that they can believe that you sent me. I'm saying it for all of them. 
Did you guys ever watch the, uh, oh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire show? And the time the guy took the phone call for the, you know what I'm going to talk about. The guy took the phone call and he's like, I need to, you could take a phone call and you could call somebody and you could ask them the trivia question and they could give you the answer and then you could win. I'm going to tear up saying it because this always gets me excited. The guy, he says, I'll take the phone call. And he calls his dad. And he gets on the phone. He's like, Dad, I just wanted you to be on the phone when I win a million dollars. The answer is seven. And he answers it. And it was like, wow! The only reason he called was to rub it in everybody's face that he knew the answer and to have his dad on the phone, right? Jesus, he doesn't need... He, he doesn't need us to follow Him. He doesn't need us to believe in Him. He is completely sovereign, independent, powerful. But He wants us to. He wants us to know that He is who He says He is. And so before... He, roll that stone away. Oh, didn't I tell you? If you stick around, you're going to see the glory of God. God, thank you for listening to me. Lazarus, come out. He prays at this point, just so everybody knows that he has been in communication with God all this time. There was never a moment where Jesus and God weren't talking about what's going on here. I know you always hear me. I said this on the count of the people standing around, so they will believe you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I think he said it with a loud voice so everybody else would hear him. Lazarus didn't have any problem hearing him, right? He said it so everybody would know this wasn't a fluke. This is a miracle by the power of Jesus. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. By the way, you know why he said Lazarus come out? Because if he would have said, come out, all the people would have raised from the dead. That's the oldest pastor joke ever. (laughs) Lazarus, come out. Lazarus comes out, this guy. What would you do if you were there? He's wrapped. He's still wrapped up in everything. Jesus says, get unbind that guy. Let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and seen what he did, believed in him. This is a very public, huge, celebrity-level event that Jesus has done. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests, the Pharisees, gathered the council and said, What are we to do? This man performs many signs. If we let him go on with this, everyone will believe in him. The Romans will come, take away our place, our nation, Worry, 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 worry. Totally missed the point. The most hilarious thing of the whole deal, verse 53. From that day on, they made plans to put him to death. He just rose somebody from the dead and you're going to try to kill him. How impossible is that? So there it is. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, went from here to there in the region of the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. But the word got out and everybody knew. Later on, we're going to read 
that people would now come to see Lazarus. It's like the, the, uh, the circus. Come see the man raised from the dead. People would come to see Lazarus to look at him and be like, whoa, that's the guy. That's the real dude. Okay, guess what? This has everything to do with Advent. Because before Jesus came, the only way that people knew that God knew about death was when God made people die. The only way that that people, anyone knew that God knew anything about death was when God killed people. But otherwise, does God care about death? Is God moved by death? They know Psalm 16. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Psalm 116. They know that when somebody dies, God is moved by that. But how moved? And I think God wanted us to know so much that he cares about us so much that he came, he knew the only way we'd ever know that God really cared about death would be if we could see God weep and cry over the death of a friend. And so God comes in the flesh and he's a man and he has friendships and he has buddies and he has people that he goes and stays with. And when they die, Jesus cries about it. That's how real flesh he is. And now all of a sudden we can look at that and say, man, God knows. God knows all about it. And even though he cried, and this is how complicated it is. It's so complicated that he cried about it and he wept over it, knowing full well that he's about ready to defeat it. So it doesn't, just because it's temporary and just because it's beaten doesn't mean it's not sad. Then we also got to look at Revelation 20. What? Revelation 20, 13. That death, nowhere in the scriptures is referred to as a friend. Death is never welcomed. Death is never good. And in the end, the end of the world, Revelation 20, verse 13, when the sea gives up all of the dead people, death and Hades give up the dead that are in them, and everyone's judged, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The the power that the devil has is sin and death. And Jesus is going to take that and throw it into a lake of fire and destroy it forever because he hates it. How exciting is that? Like, not only are we going to live forever, but the thing that would stop us from living is death. And it's not just going to be erased. (laughs) It's not going to be stricken from the uh, board record, board minutes. It's going to be taken, it's going to be thrown into a lake of fire and destroyed. That's how much alive we're going to be. That there's not even a hint of death at us anymore. So all of that, everything that happens is for the glory of God. And it might not be happy. It might be sad. 
but it's for God's glory, and His glory will last longer than that sadness will last. And that's what He came. He, that's, what, that's what Christmas... He came to show us that He knows that, that He's lived it and done it Himself. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for coming that you came and that you lived and that you struggled and that you hurt and you ached and you cried and you laughed. And above all, you sought the glory of God. That you loved Mary and Martha so much that you didn't make everything okay just so that the glory of God would show up. We thank you that you love us so much that you didn't resist death, that you died so that the glory of God would show up. And I pray that you would move that deep into our souls and that we would look for your glory and that we would look for your honor above all other things and we wouldn't be afraid of anything else, Lord. Thank you, Father. Amen.